Hello and welcome to Pregnancy Help Podcast. My name is Christine Grimmett and I'm with Heartbeat International. And joining me today is Tony Trammell with Dadhood to talk about men's ministry. So welcome, Tony. We're so glad you can join us. Oh, thank you, Christine. It's an honor to be with you again. As we approach Father's Day here, uh, the topic of ministering not just to our female clients, but our male clients is coming to mind. So let's just start at the beginning with your own journey. How were you inspired to start your dadhood ministry? Well, you know, I decided I was pro-life way back in probably junior high or high school, but I realized over the years it really wasn't so much a political issue as it was a, really comes down to a Bible issue to me. So the journey probably really started in uh, 1992. Our oldest son, Scott, was born. And just seeing the miracle of birth kind of gives you really a whole new perspective on what pro-life really means. And after that, we had uh, a lady in our church who was very active in the local pregnancy center. So we got more involved in the the, the annual walk for life and um, banquets and things like that. And over the years, our son Joe was born, our daughter Tara. So as a family, we became more involved in the walks and uh, different things. And jumping forward in 1999, I was invited to become a board member, which really surprised me because the board at that time was made up of professionals and pastors and doctors and attorneys and all these, all these things that I wasn't. But uh, my wife's a good cook, so I can bring refreshments as needed. So that was probably the, that was probably the kicker. Um, and when I got onto the board of the uh, Pregnancy Center, I really started to notice that there was just nothing there for young men whatsoever. And I just started thinking that we are really only uh, meeting half the need that was there. So we began to talk about it and discuss it. And I had a very demanding job at the time. So it was really like, you know, I don't really have time to help in any way, but I see the thing. There's an old saying, a mission seen is a mission sent. So it was kind of uh yeah, so it's kind of like I saw it, but I wasn't really up to it. So anyway, we got a we got a call from our local juvenile judge who had had a couple of teenagers who had gotten into some trouble, and he really just wanted to um, somebody to sit down from a, a pregnancy center or pro life ministry and talk with them. So uh, our director at the time and I uh, met with these two young men, and it was almost like a pregnancy center scared straight kind of thing, is what I called it. And uh, I just really had my eyes opened even more and began to pray for it. And back in 96, when our daughter was born, my wife Amy had some very serious heart issues. And she was basically bedridden for almost the first year of, of my daughter's life. And it really kind of gave us another perspective on what was important and what wasn't important and the things that we could live without doing and the things that we should be doing. So that was kind of like a, an ongoing prayer, that um, an ongoing burden, looking for what it was that God had us to do. So in 2002 and three, I, I started to have some very odd health issues that I didn't understand and really didn't tell anybody about. I told the doctor about it once and he wasn't real understanding about it at the time. But um, finally, in early 2003, I was diagnosed with epilepsy, which is very surprising because there's no family history, anything like that at all. But um, it led to soon after that, I had to take a medical retirement from my job because this wasn't able to do that job anymore. And I we just saw that as an opportunity 
and God opening a door to really be able to do what I felt led to do. So late 1993, so, or I'm sorry, 2003, we just jumped in at the at the pregnancy center and started a men's ministry, which is something I wanted to do. And, and uh, it presented itself. Now, my health was kind of uh, an issue at the time. It still is at times. But I'm, I'm fully convinced that, that it was a blessing and a, and a door opening. So we jumped in, really not knowing what we were doing. We had no uh, no money. We had no budget. We had uh, very little. Uh, we had just been through 9-11 and um, some local job issues that caused some job losses in our area. And giving was down. So it really wasn't the ideal time to start something. But we went on faith and we jumped in and we did it anyway. And it grew little by little and we got a little bit busier and I just became a full-time volunteer we opened a satellite center and I was spending time at both of them then. And about 2006, we got a couple of of uh, a local grant. And then we also got a grant from the National Fatherhood Initiative called Capacity Building. And those things kind of really just were like Christmas to us. And we just kind of jumped to the next level and were able to be doing so much more than we could before. And it became a more quality ministry, you know, from the outside looking in and also for us. So we began to really take off after after that and started to see several hundred client visits a year for just the men. And, you know, after two or three years of that, word began to get out to some centers in our region, our area. So I would get phone calls and questions about what are you doing? How are you doing it? You know, we're interested, et cetera, and met with some people and really started to then get the picture that there were there was a, a need more than just in our community. So in 2010, I stepped aside from my daily duties and began to uh, focus on trying to do for more for other centers. And all along that time, I was in the center for seven years. We had to create everything we did because there was just no resources out there at all, you know, almost 20 years ago now. Google wasn't even all that great back then. Uh, so we had to start creating our own resources. So I began in 2010 to try to make sense of that. I knew what was in this big old file cabinet full of stuff, but I couldn't have told really anybody else what any, any of it was. So I began to just sit down and, and edit and rewrite and combine things and trying to make a, a curriculum out of it that I could share with other people. And just kind of jumped in 2013, 2014. We went to our first conference for CareNet and things just started to kind of snowball along the way. And we've just, you know, seen the Lord open more and more doors. It's nothing um, that I've done or we've done. It's just that, you know, no big promotion, nothing like that. It's This is not a money-making venture. It's just that God opened more doors as we went. And I've just been shocked and excited to sit back and watch him work because it's been uh, been amazing some of the things that I've been allowed to do that I never thought I would ever do. Not that I do them well, but I try to follow through on what I feel led to do. So that's a long version of of uh, where we are now, you know, 2020. I love it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's interesting how it's such a testament to how we have ideas in the pregnancy help community. One center in one city has this thought of how to serve the men in their community, and maybe they're not seeing that with other centers. And so you start this curriculum, you write it down, you share it, and now you have this whole organization. So 
you know, same thing with through Heartbeat. We have webinars and podcasts and things, and the whole goal is let's share this information. So I love what you're doing with dadhood and how I know you you have shared a lot of the sort of the nuts and bolts of how to begin men's ministry, start to finish, how to start, how to go through, find volunteers, all of that information. So that was such an interesting webinar for me to be listening in on because I honestly hadn't put a lot of thought into it. Um, And I know there are plenty of centers out there who are doing it well, but just to share these ideas on how we can continue to do better, there's just so much value there. So I guess that all began with that first conference that you were at. I know you were um, you were an exhibitor with our virtual conference. We were all hoping to be in yes. Seattle in person, and we ended up virtually meeting this year, um, which was pretty cool. So I don't know how that how was that experience for you as an exhibitor. Well, it was very different um, from uh, that was going to be our first Heartbeat conference. We've been to Heartbeat. Um, banquets and things like that. And we got to visit with your headquarters there in Columbus mm-hmm. last year sometime. But it was different being virtual because I was so used to face-to-face contact, which is what I like about the best about men's ministry. But at conferences, you could meet with and talk to people directly. And we you know, talked online on chat and things like that with people from different pregnancy centers but it, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to get your message across, but then you can follow up. And it was very interesting that we heard mm-hmm. from people, people that we knew already from Heartbeat Centers, but also talk with um, a lady in Perth, Australia, and a gentleman in Africa, and uh, uh, somebody in Scotland, and all these different places that I had never had any familiarity with on a much of a ministry scale. And I'm not sure what kind of help we can be because of, you know, the difference in our cultures and things like that. But it's, it's interesting to have the opportunity to at least virtually meet people like that and be able to uh, try to help in some way. So it, it was definitely different, but it was different in a, in a good way and a door opening in other areas kind of way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I know a lot of people said how much they valued that international connection. It's just not something that we get as much in person. Yeah. So it was just a unique experience of the virtual conference. Yeah, and I doubt it was going to be like that in Seattle. I doubt all those people would have made it to Seattle. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So kind of a blessing in disguise there. We made the most yeah. of it. Back to your curriculum that you've developed and uh, how you kind of put things into writing. I know you have a couple of books available and you actually have programs that people can purchase and view and use in their center. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Just some of the resources that you have available? Well, our curriculum, like I said, started being written by need one lesson at a time starting in 2003. And I would have a client come in who had a specific need because, you know, every client we think is the same, but they're all really unique in their particular needs. And I think you really just have to try your very best to meet them where they are and not just put them all into a universal box, which is what, um, I don't want to sound, you know, critical, but some, some curriculum uh, that's out there does that, just puts everybody in the same you know, frame of mind and they're, and they're really not. So it would be one of those things where somebody would come in and ask a question and it would be like, well, come back next week and I'll have you a better answer. Um, so this went on for, you know, all the years we were doing that. And I had written a lot of different stuff. So when I stepped aside in 2010, it took some work to kind of figure out what was useful and what wasn't and what was a value and what I could combine 
and finally started putting it together in um, curriculum that we called uh, preparing for dadhood. Now, preparing is the, the significant part of that because what I think is different about the curriculum that we have is that it is uh, intended to get the expectant father engaged from the moment he gets a positive pregnancy test and keep him engaged uh, all the way through delivery day and then thereafter. And a lot of things that are out there uh, really just talk about become about being a father and being uh, what it means to be a uh, the role of fatherhood and things like that. And ours is really meant to get him into the center and walk alongside him all throughout the pregnancy. And we kind of patterned it after what a lot of centers have, which is the earn while you learn format for that they had for the girls. And we just tried to make it very flexible and very practical and reusable and really inexpensive. And we've kind of kept it. We've tried to keep it very inexpensive because I know starting out with no money in 2003, you know, you just don't have a lot to, to spend thousands of dollars on a, on a curriculum or a system. So we try to keep it uh, that way. And also with the ability that we, what we call the coaches or the mentors, to be very flexible with their with their clients. So as we went along from 2003, 2010, there were some other things that were coming out. National Fatherhood Initiative was doing a lot of research and they started coming out with some things that were very good. And some other things started to come out. Some of the stuff that was coming out at the time was almost a little too philosophical and not really practical for the young men who were just looking for answers uh, you know, what to do today, what to do next week. They were just, you know, they're caught up in confusion and a whirlwind and being overwhelmed. And some of the, the things that were being produced just weren't real helpful for them at that time. So our focus on ours has always been to take them from the beginning and walk them through the pregnancy just as they're in many centers are trying to take the young ladies through the pregnancy. And we saw that that helped the father and the mother hold each other accountable and to encourage one another and be able to uh, you know, do it really together and make it more personalized. Now, you know, a lot of stuff now is going high tech. Uh, we send everything out in a PDF so it can be, you know, shared with clients or uh, different people electronically, but we've, uh, besides just the cost issue, we've stayed away from the um, videos and things like that because to me, it's just it's doesn't give your mentor any flexibility. And to me, it's the personal touch, whether it be in classes as a group or whether it be one on one. I think just taking um, and I think you need to use some videos because you know young men are are virtual or uh, virtual learners or video learners. You know, uh, visual learners is the word I'm looking for. So I think it's important to use different ways to reach them, but to just take a young man and sit him in front of a, a TV screen or a, you know their phone or whatever for 15 weeks or something just kind of misses the point of, of really uh, engaging them. So that, that's just my philosophy or um, the way that I've you know, viewed it. But anyway, we, we ended up with um, it's a curriculum is, is 40 lessons and it starts out from the first news, first lesson is the first news of a positive test and early on it's just a 
getting him used to the idea of being a father, the idea that, um, you know, this is real. And there's also some lessons just for the coach to get to know him uh, better and figure out what his needs are early on and where his, what his situation is, you know, personally. And then we get into um, the second 10 lessons is 10, 10, 10, 10 lessons. The second 10 lessons are more practical budgeting, and uh, we send him on a shopping trip to price out baby items, so it's like a reality check for him, and different things like that, goal setting and, and some other lessons. And these lessons can be used as homework or can be something you do together. Uh, and then the, the third set, or what we call the section three, is preparing for delivery day and baby care and and. Uh, different things like that. Then there's the other 10 lessons are really situation specific for, you know, maybe talk about marriage or job hunting or whatever it may be, things that can be interjected along with those uh, other lessons. And then we have four Bible studies that can be pulled out that are written for, for young men. And then we also throw in some different forms and things like a male specific intake form and different things like that so that we can help them maybe get started more quickly. So really the lessons came from being in the, the counseling room or the one-on-one mentoring over the course of several years. And then a couple of years after, I think in 2014 or 15, I went back and revised it some after getting feedback from the people who were who were using it all over the country. So that helped me you know, learn that every center, not only every young man's unique and his situation unique, but every center is unique. The different uh, target audience that they have and the different people that they serve, it has to be a little more flexible as well. So really we try to keep it inexpensive, flexible, but also uh, with the reality in mind that it takes some money to run a ministry and a website and traveling and, and things like that. So we try to be center friendly with our curriculum. And then, you know, anytime we've done changes or updates, we just give them to every center that we partner with, because I don't like the idea of every couple of years making you buy something new and things like that. You know, I think that it does a good job for, especially for one-on-one mentoring. Soon after that, I, um, or right about the same time, I also wrote what really is a handbook for counseling abortion-minded or abortion-vulnerable young men called Defending Dadhood. And that came from being in the counseling room, especially with um, young men who would come in to see the ultrasound, who may be abortion-minded or vulnerable, and different uh, uh, answers to different questions they might ask or answers to uh, what their considerations were for for considering an abortion. And really, to me, it's... um, it's different. It's two sides of the same coin. You have fatherhood training and mentoring, but you also have young men who coming in who are considering abortion that just really need to be answered quickly. So that that came out soon after our preparing for dadhood. And then a couple of years later, after getting lots and lots of questions, we want to do this, we see the need, but we have no idea where to start. And I looked back and thought, well, I don't want people, I don't want people to start where and how we started. So I wrote a, another book of, uh, called Building Dads and Pink Buildings. And I say pink buildings from the standpoint of that's how young men see pregnancy centers. They see it in the building. You know, the motif or the decorations or the style may be more pink colored, but the whole idea of it being pink 
is young men see it as a female building. It's a female place where female medicine goes on and it's a place that's not for them. It's not, it's not male friendly at all, but it's also a place where I think is the best place to build dads and to build young men up in uh, preparing for fatherhood. So that really, I went back and looked at um, what we did right, what we did wrong, uh, what I learned from a lot of other ministries by that point, how they got started, what the problems were, what's, you know, may have um, stopped what they were doing, what was working, what wasn't working, and really put it into that book. And it's basically 13 steps, starting with prayer and building from there that hopefully will help give some guidance step by step. And, you know, one step may be easier for one center more than another, but hopefully we'll give them some kind of a framework for how they can start a ministry from, from scratch. So that's kind of the three things that we rest on right now. And um, we have um, all those things are on our website, but also on our website, we have a, a free sample pack that explains those things better and gives samples from everything and, and talks a little bit about our training and things like that so that people, you know, without spending any money on the great um, unknown type stuff, that they can at least get an idea of what it is that we're trying to accomplish and try to partner with them about. So I hope that makes a little more sense. Yeah, that's great information. So when it comes to men's ministry, I guess the thought a lot of times is that, well, mostly there, you typically have more women than men working in a pregnancy center. Where do you go to find volunteers? And what does that look like? Is, does there always have to be a male coach there during the center hours? Or is there a certain day of the week where you just invite men for those particular meetings? Or how is the best way to go about having that available for men at all times? Well, you know, I've been asked that a lot, you know, over the years. And, and with our training and, and just communicating with different centers, I've learned different ways that they're trying to accomplish that. You know, not everybody would have somebody like me who could be like a full-time volunteer and be there all the time, but that kept me off the streets and out of trouble for, for years. But I, I'm really a, a big believer that when there is a, a need in ministry, whether it be in the church or whether it be in some other, you know, parachurch ministry of some sort, that God knows the need and is already there ready to fulfill it when we ask. And I have been amazed at the times I've, I've heard this and the times I've seen this, that when uh, sinners would just take a little bit of a leap and just really let it be known, we want to do this for men, there are already men who have been wanting to do this, who've been waiting for some kind of opportunity. They didn't know maybe exactly what they wanted to do or how to do it, but they knew that they wanted to be involved somehow. And I've seen that in center after center that there's at least one man or two or three men, whatever it may be, who are willing to jump in. Now, that doesn't mean you can have every hour that the center is open covered. You may have to, you know, schedule men's appointments however you can or uh, try to deal with walk-ins, you know, as best you can. I understand that, you know, I was on the board for 11 years, so I know how the both sides of that work, but men are that I've seen are more than willing to at least, you know, volunteer a couple hours a week, whatever it may be. Now, I know a couple of centers who have set out to find volunteers. And I think a good place to go is, you know, find your good supporting uh, churches or supporting ministries and maybe talk to a, a pastor that you know well and say, hey, can you recommend anybody in your church? 
And a few times that has ended up the pastors uh, saying, I or one of my staff members would love to do that. And um, like I say, a couple of places I know of that they have set up a room or an office for that pastor or staff person to spend a whole day at the center and be able to do their regular work in private and have what they need there, but also be available for walk-ins or appointments. Um, so there's there's a man in the building, um, which I think is pretty smart if you can get a, a pastor or somebody to do that. But I, I think that there are men who are willing to do it. Every place that I've seen, they're just maybe hesitant because they don't know what it involves. Uh, a lot of them have a great story or great testimony that can relate directly to these young men. And I've been amazed at how I've seen God use men's previous lives or their stories to be able to minister. But I don't think finding good quality male mentors or coaches is, is as hard as we think. The, the biggest hesitation I think that men have is that they don't know how to get started themselves. And I always tell sinners that you have to be able to hand them something as a tool to work with, whether, you know, curriculum or something to say, hey, get familiar with this and this is what you can use. And now that you've put something in their hands, they know what to work with or how to work with it or something that they can have. So you're not sending them to war with an unloaded gun. You're not just putting them out there with no support. And I think that's been a problem in some centers where you just bring in a man and say, well, go do your thing. And uh, he just doesn't know what's going on. He's untrained, doesn't have the resources that he needs or whatever. And it will, you know, quickly fold up. And they say, well, we tried, you know, that's all we can do. So really you have to uh, get men in who are willing. And I think you'll find those, you'll find them in, in churches. You know, I've seen them, male mentors come from the husbands of the female client advocates that are already working in the center, who are already familiar with what's going on. In various places, you'd be surprised where people who just, you know, they'll walk in the walk for life once a year and they want to do more, but they don't know what it would be as far as men are concerned. So really, I think a lot of centers are surprised, and especially when it's, you know, an all-female staff or mostly female or a female director, and that's not a, a negative slant on, on that whatsoever, but they're sometimes very surprised as to how many men are waiting for some way to to serve in that ministry. So I don't think this is as big a stumbling block as, as a lot of people think it is, but I understand it is a, a fear or a need. Yeah, I think that's some great insight. There's the, the issue of having the hands to do the work, having the volunteers, and right. also the space. And your yes. title of your book, Building Dads in Pink Buildings, is kind of the idea that a lot of times men don't feel like that's the place where they would go for help, even yeah. fathers. Or even to serve. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's more of a, a pink building. It has its design for women as it should be because that's the, where they get served as well. But what are some things that centers can do to make it more friendly for men or to offer that space where men feel like this is their space as well so that their girlfriend or wife can be getting the, the medical or the consulting care that they need and that they can also get the service that they need and just the emotional support during this? Well, as far as the building is concerned, if you make just the getting them into the building is a big accomplishment sometimes. Um, you have some men who really want to be involved and they will gladly come in and you have others who will, who are brought in kicking and screaming, you know, against their will to be there. But just starting out with the, with the uh, 
uh, waiting room being a little more male friendly and not quite so mauve and pink and all these type things. And I know it costs money to remodel. I'm not saying that, but make it a little bit more neutral perhaps and make sure that the um, person at your front window, receptionist, the front desk, whatever it may be, that they are really, you know, welcoming to a young man who come in. And sometimes I've seen that be an issue where, you know, some somebody who has been in a center forever, just not real keen on men being in the building because this is a women's ministry. Um, that's easily overcome, of course. But I, my big thing is to really make a ministry go and to make it more male friendly is if you have the space at all to make a male specific area, a male specific room that is obviously decorated for men, that is that is more private, that is away from um the young ladies' counseling rooms, things like that. If you have something like that, men will instantly come in and feel like, okay, they have something here for me. Um, this room is just for guys and very male-friendly, and it's, they really just start to let their guard down and feel more comfortable. So I think if that's possible at all, and a lot of centers have taken that and, and run with it, with different ideas that I've been hearing. We had... Our first place in our, our original building, we had, uh, it was in an old, old, big house and every bit of space was being used, but we cleaned out the attic and we made it just for guys. Guys liked being in the attic. It was very, you know, separate and secluded. It wasn't the perfect thing, but we just gave it a really trendy name and called it the attic. And, um, that got the guys coming in. And when we opened a satellite center, we had, uh, a separate office that we just called the guys room. I think that was very secluded and de uh, male decorated. And later on, we had uh, another building where we were able to, it was an old big downtown department store and we took part of the basement and turned it into the man cave. But guys really, you know, really loved that. They would come in and, and really be excited about going to a place that was just for them. So I think it goes a long way just to show them that they really have a place there and it's not just um, a, that they're not just an afterthought. And, you know, some some centers can make a men's ministry kind of look like an afterthought. Well, we're going to try this, but, you know, we're going to hold back a little just in case. So making a little more male friendly as a, as a ministry and as a building goes a long way. Yeah, that's interesting. I know I saw some of the pictures in your slides during your webinar that you did and just the transformations of rooms to just being a plain side consulting room, a spare room, whatever it may be, and making it just really welcoming for men and just a place where they can kind of let their guard down and be ready to learn, but also just relax because it's a really tense situation yes. that they're in and there's so much fear. So it's a time to just decompress a little bit and have someone to talk to. Absolutely. Um, that's going to really be a good mentor for them. So how does that look? Maybe you can even share some personal stories here, but when you have a a male and female client come in together. The female client goes in for her appointment and the male client's just sitting by himself in the waiting room. How would you approach that as a, a male coach or a mentor? How does that situation go from being just somebody sitting alone in the waiting room to being open to talking and to being involved in your men's program? Well, you know, to me, it um, when I do trainings, it kind of breaks down as to what kind of client he is. And I won't go into a lot of detail, but you have clients who really are not there because they want to be. 
and they're not, they're not necessarily expecting to see a male coach there, a male mentor. So they're not really there to see them on purpose. But I call it a cold client or an, basically an involved or a young man who's there on purpose. And you really just need to have, I think, the male approach him in the waiting room and be very, very relaxed in his approach and very uh, welcoming and explaining what his position there is or what his job there is. And just kind of tell him, if nothing else, tell him a little bit about what is available for, for men as far as programs and hopefully get him out of the waiting room. And sometimes they're dying to get out of the waiting room. You know, it's full of women or toddlers or whatever it may be. And they're more than happy to go to another room and then have a time just to explain what, you know, what you have for them, but also a time for, like you said, for them just to relax and decompress. And they're just, you know, they're in this, in the same situation as the young lady, but they're just really uh, overwhelmed and they're, they may be scared to death and they're just uninformed. The vast majority of them who come in are from father absent homes. So they have no real positive male influence in their life. Uh, so they really need somebody who is a mentor who cares about them. And if you just give them a chance to, uh, sometimes they come in and they just want to unload. And sometimes they come in and they have this wall up, you know, that men are tough and I don't need help and that kind of attitude that all men have. But they, they have, they take, they'll take the opportunity to talk to somebody. And I think that surprises a lot of the female client advocates and the staff that he will actually talk to somebody because they just see this side of him sitting in the waiting room and, you know, like a bump on a log playing with his phone and uh, don't see the possibilities there. Um, but if you can nudge them out of the, out of the waiting room in a very friendly manner, very lighthearted manner, uh, you know, don't come out in a suit and tie and expect them to be like a doctor's office or something. It, it goes a long way and you get more results than I, I think you um, believe you will if you just have no male help around at all. You know, a couple of, I'll give you a couple of, of examples of, of clients that I've had. The youngest client I ever had come in was, um, he was just a walk-in. He was 13 years old. And after I began to talk to him, he was just looking for help. He was just totally, if you can imagine, at the age of 13, overwhelmed, and he got a positive pregnancy test back. And I looked, and as I got to talk to him, I realized he was three days younger than my oldest son. And that was a real eye-opener for me. But he turned 14. He wasn't in high school yet. And he went through the whole program. And we stayed in touch all through high school. He had another child with the same young lady in high school. So my abstinence talks kind of were a waste, apparently. But they got married straight out of high school. He graduated high school with honors. He went on to college, uh, which was not easy with two kids, but he, he did it. And they had two more kids while he was in college. They got married, like I said, and he, they're still married to this day, has four kids. He's uh, 28, has a good job. It has been a rough rough road for them, you know, doing things in that order, but he's still a friend of mine. We stay in contact, you know, at least every few days. So to be able to see him go from 13, you know, over the last 15 years or 16 years, whatever it is, to be able to see him what he's done now has just been as strange as it sounds. I'll just call it this. It's a lot of fun. It's really exciting to see that happen.
was another young man who who came in that I'm still friends with to this day. And we still, you know, before all the Corona thing kind of got us off track, we would get together on a fairly regular basis and do a Bible study together. And um, he came in, he was 19. He was a college student. His girlfriend called him up and said, you know, I'm pregnant. His father was not in the home. He was afraid to go home. He basically went and stayed with a friend, ran away from home for two or three days. And he was just really a mess. And he just walked in one day and said, I need to talk to somebody about this. And he ended up going through the program and he ended up marrying that young lady. And I was able to be part of their wedding ceremony, which was, was really exciting too. And now they have three boys and, and we stay in contact. So there's, there's a good many clients that I've had over the years and I've, I've been able to stay in contact with. Those are all the good stories that ended well. You know, there are a lot of stories that don't end so well that kind of get you discouraged. And, you know, there have been abortions along the way. And I've known of a couple of men who have uh, young men over the years who've committed suicide and different things like that. But you have to focus on the good stories like Mm -hmm. like the first two I shared, because it's not an easy ministry. You know, men can get easily discouraged because, you know, it's a ministry that has and every pregnancy center has this with the girls, too. There's a lot of no shows but it's a higher percentage with the guys. So you just really have to stick with it and have to um, have a lot of patience. And I'm not a very patient person. You can ask my wife or kids or anybody who knows me, but you just really have to, to make your mind up. I'm going to see this through and you'll see results. You'll see good results that will really be an encouragement and keep you involved for, for the long haul. I know that there's so many concerns about how do we start a ministry and that kind of thing. And you've covered a lot of advice and tips on how to get started. And, you know, it's not really as overwhelming as it might seem. It's just a matter of having that outline and that curriculum and getting people involved. So thank you for all of that. It's it's a lot of information to process, but I think it's very exciting. Um, so I'm really grateful for you spending your time with us today. Uh, where are some places that people can go to get your resources in particular and to learn more about dadhood? Well, our website is dadhood.org, D-A-D-H-O-O-D.org. Our, our whole thing is going beyond fatherhood going beyond just being a father and actually being a dad and there's a difference so dadhood.org is our website we're on uh, also on facebook on uh, dadhood if you do a search uh, which there's a link on our website for that Uh, linkedin i have a linkedin page under my name and also dadhood i believe so and our my email is tony at dadhood.org and i i do a lot of um communicating back and forth and i I think one thing that's been a surprise to me is to kind of come out of this is I've been almost like a information warehouse where I, I learn from what other centers are doing and I'm able to pass that along to other centers to try. So I've been surprised at the things I've been able to learn and pass along. So somebody just wants to communicate with me or reach out and share what they're doing, what they're trying, or, you know, ask for some advice. You know, my advice is free and maybe, you know, what you get, what you pay for, but you know, uh, anything we can do to try to help is what we're here to do. 
Yeah, well, everything I've heard here is very helpful and very inspiring too. So also want to mention that um, the webinar series that you did for us is available through Heartbeats Online Academy. So if you go to heartbeatservices.org under the store, you can find um, Adding Men's Ministry Start to Finish. So that, in addition to dadhood.org, uh, really gets you set up for the men's ministry here, I think. There's just a lot of resources available. Really appreciate you taking the time with us today. and. Thank you to all of our listeners, and we hope to see you next time for our next podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org podcast. Thanks for tuning in.